We good? Yeah. Oh. How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. Oh, man. I got to see the Flying Angels today. What was it called, the Flying Angels? Blue Angels. Blue Angels, yeah. They do cool. fly. They do fly. You weren't wrong. Right. That was cool. Yeah. I thought they would do it. Oh, they only did it one time. They only flew around Chicago once. I thought they'd do it at least twice. <laughs> yeah. But, like, they're doing it for the people in the hospitals, but what if they were, like, saving someone? <laughs> like, you should give them a chance to see them, like, like, you know, like, saying, like, oh, you know, we'll do two flybys. One for everyone, and then if you missed it, you could come back out and see you again. Right. Or you just hear them, you know? They're pretty loud when they fly through Chicago. Like, the sound echoes everywhere. Yeah. yeah. But I think, like, if the whole point of it was to, like, uh, salute to all the first responders, like, right. you should at least give them a chance. Well, they did give them a notice, like, be out of, be outside by this time, but... Right. If anything, I think it's, like, more, it's just as effective as, like, Gal Gadot singing, you know? Uh, yeah, but this I... actually requires talent. <laughs> singing Imagine on your iPad or webcam isn't talented. I know, but it's like when you think of how expensive it is to send up the Blue Angels for something, it's it's not cheap, you know? It's like, I'd rather in a time of like economic despair and, you know, uncertainty, just hold on to that money and keep that in your pocket. I mean, I guess maybe it's, maybe it is stimulating for the economy to see that the Blue Angels are still up and running, you know? I mean cool like <laughs> i just have a d very different feeling about how money should be spent maybe that makes me conservative <laughs> <laughs> a little bit yeah i don't I know mean, that was pretty cool i, I mean, mean uh, could we do a laser light show next time i mean that'd be kind of neat i feel like everything's just been so down and doing something cool i think for the kids too for the kids that are outside or been inside they're not in school like to see the flying angels blue just <laughs> Well, it's like they're not going to have an Aaron Water show this year. Flying Tigers. Like, that's not going to happen. Right. So, like, um, which, like, to me, I'm like, oh, well, that's fine. But, like, there are kids who kind of look forward to that kind of stuff and parents will look forward to that stuff. So that's kind of a cool thing that they did today. Yeah, whatever. It doesn't hurt anybody. I mean, maybe it, I don't know. I, I, I don't have too many opinions about it anymore. I'm just like. Whatever. What was that thing you told me about the, uh, the, don't fuck with it anymore? Don't fuck with it. <laughs> you just told that story. Yeah. <laughs> so, I went down a rabbit hole the other night. I was, uh, reading a bunch of these, like, it was like a thread of people that have local folklore about their country or region or wherever they're from. And started out, uh, the story was somebody had posted was, um story of fairy rings uh which is uh, which i didn't know was a big deal over there i just thought it was something yeah so like in england and ireland and, and a lot of parts of europe they have this phenomenon that happens where after a rain or something um mushrooms will sometimes show up in a perfect circle in the ground like in a plain field and there won't be any mushrooms around it or inside it it's just like a perfect ring and there's probably some deep scientific explanation for why it does that i mean maybe that's just the way mycelium congregates or whatever but anyway um the the folklore and the thing is is that you know it's created by fairies to lure people into it and then i mean there's a lot of different regional folklore so some of it's most of it's malevolent like where it's like the fairies fuck with you and you know they might take your eyeball or make you go crazy or you'll be trapped in that circle forever and they force you to dance until you're exhausted or there's all these different things that that can happen 
and um, you know the the one thing that that I thought that I took away from it was like the guy telling the story was like yeah it's like mostly I most of Ireland is Catholic and even though that's old like pagan beliefs they still don't fuck with it it's right like, doesn't just because you don't believe in it doesn't mean you shouldn't just leave it alone you know it's like you never know it's like it doesn't you know and there, there's there was like all these stories where people were you know it's the folklore is like oh there's a fairy ring and then they dug up the ground and built a house on it and then that house had bad luck for you know it was haunted and bad things happened all the time i think it's like the equivalent of here uh, like those indian burial grounds oh, yeah. where there used to be like native lands well exactly like that's what it went into so like this whole thread kept going on and on about like all these different regions and they would talk about like the south of the united states you know, like Louisiana, Georgia, you know. Oh, I'm sure Louisiana. They're, they're into, like, that voodoo uh, well, mystic yeah. stuff, so I'm sure there's stuff down there that's the same, that's, sure. like, haunted and, like, very creepy, like, those, uh, uh, like, um, what is those called? Um, those, like, creepy dolls, voodoo dolls. Voodoo dolls. Yeah. It's creepy dolls. <laughs> well, there are creepy. The, yeah. Even if they're not real, they're still a creepy thing to have. Well, I thought the one that, that they, um they touched on in the south was um there's definitely like a lot of folklore about civil war and old civil war battles so like usually around the anniversary of certain battles you'll start to smell gunpowder in the air and like uh perfume women's perfume and medical supply like iodines in the air like there's just all these like weird things that that start to you know, and maybe it's just because there's, you know, recreationalists, or not, what was it, not recreation, but recreationists, you know, like, in the area that are doing some sort of, you know, party or something, or, you know, they're downwind of that. But it's like, it's one of those things where, you know, you, as you move around the United States or even the world, everyone has their local myths and legends that sort of, um, you know, speak to that, that region's history and, and you know, everyone kind of remembers the bad more than the good, you know, and so it's like... I think that's why I never really was scared of ghosts. Why? I don't know, it just doesn't scare... Like, it's always a bad story. I always wonder, like, why isn't there any good stories of ghosts? Casper. Exactly! <laughs> like, why isn't there Casper stories? There's just one. When I was younger, I remember when I was in high school, actually, like, me and my buddies would go to, like, these haunted trails and these haunted, uh, like... I've been to haunted trails. Uh, I've never been there actually, <laughs> but like, there's like these haunted roads, and like, if you go there at this specific time, you'll see things. Now, I never really saw anything, but my friends say they did. <coughs> I don't know. I just never really like when I w- when I used to go to Mexico as a kid. Same thing. Like they used to say, don't go to the quarry at night after midnight because you'll start to see things. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure you'll just see like coyotes or something. You won't see a ghost. But like they 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 claim people claim, especially down in Mexico, they really do believe in that stuff down there. Right. They really do. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially when... Well, if you think about it regionally, think about which areas are, are most affected, right? You have people that have been under great persecution for a long time, right? So you look at Ireland, you know, they've been under English rule and war on and off for how many years? You know, you look at the South, they had the Civil War. You look at Northwest the territories where you have, you know, Native Americans who were pushed that way, and they have all these, you know, uh, horrible stories that have happened to them. So it seems like in areas where there's a lot of people that come from persecution, there tends to be more folklore, more myth, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, th- I wonder if that coincides with, like, you know, uh, their culture, just the way they behave in an everyday, you know, life situation. You know, if you have that, like, history of, like, um, I don't know, 
don't know what to call it, parables and, and superstitions and things you don't do. And then you just like watch it from like a, a you know, cafe window and see all these people reacting. It's like, oh, that person didn't step on a crack or that person's, you know, walking around the, you know, it's like we all have these little nuances that are in our micro actions that we do that we don't even think about every day, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it's true. Yeah. Yeah, because it's crazy, like, like, well, it's going to be folklore for, like, our grandkids, you know, like, what, like, what's the stuff that we do, the shit we do today, right. that, like, maybe even a hundred years from now is going to be considered folklore and, like, right. haunted and shit. I don't know, maybe big cities will be, I don't know. I'm willing to bet Vegas is going to be the most haunted place on earth at one point. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like, I'm willing to bet because there's some shady shit that happens in Vegas we don't even hear about or know about. Right. I mean... It always seems like what's the common, I'm trying to think, what's the the common denominator that makes places haunted? You know, is it people that die in a murder, people that die in an accident, people that die... It's always when an innocent die. Yeah. Like, if it's like the, like, I'm not, I mean, like, the person itself or the ghost itself is innocent, like, it's a story, like, like, in Mexico, the story of La Llorona is that her kids were drowned, or she drowned her kids, right. and she was weeping, and then she weep, wept till she died, and that's the story. Yeah. But, like, it's the innocent of the kids, or, like, you know, like, it's always, innocence is always thrown in there somehow. Right. So I think that's, like, one of the first ingredients, I think you could say. Right. Yeah, I kind of wonder, a lot, like, a lot of the Native American myths talk about shapeshifters and people that, you know, um, follow you. You know, there's a lot of that in Native American mythology. You can even go back to, like, uh, Egyptians. Yeah. A lot of the pictures they drew were of shapeshifters and different things that they saw and drew pictures of. So mm-hmm. who's, you know, who, how do we know, not know? Like, the, I mean, there's that show Ancient Aliens that goes deep diving into that. Well, but I mean, like, I kind of want to believe that maybe back then there was something alive that we don't have now. Or maybe it's still around, we just don't see it, you know? Right. And that's kind of what, like, what Stephen King's novels are, like, kind of geared towards. Yeah. Is that there's always, like, an ancient force that manifests itself in something that we're familiar with or afraid of and then you know it it gets us you know yeah um i think uh you know one of the things i think but like look at what the what the theme of the of it is right so like if you were to think of the theme of the shapeshifter in native american mythology what would you what would you attribute that to that would be trust right you would say oh yeah that's that's to have your guard up and not trust people right away at face value, but look at what happened to them. You know what I mean? So, like, the Native Americans have a uh, superstition that's based off of not trusting people and not allowing yourself to, to be misled because their entire history is about possibly trusting European settlers and having it, you know, blow up in their faces. You know, it didn't really work out for them which is unfortunate i'm sure there could have been a you know a peaceful way of doing things but mm-hmm. greed um <laughs> i think whatever is coming to maybe americans is long time coming because we've really fucked up those indians like those and then we call them indians they're not even indians they're native americans i know and you think like how long has that conversation been going on i mean like they haven't even changed the name of them yet i was reading um about how the virus, the COVID is uh, nineteen, has been affecting um, reservations. Yeah, and it's pretty much wiping them out. 
Right. Because they're not getting supplies. Right. They're not really being allowed to leave their reservations to go get help. Right. Or people aren't even allowed to go in. Mm-hmm. So pretty much we're like, in a way, it's kind of finishing the job. And it's fucked up because like... I know. It's their land, technically. And it's their right to like, at least get help from them. And it's fucked up. Like, right. I saw Doctors Without Borders was... Uh, has been going into reservations now. Because I guess they're technically allowed to go in and out. Because they don't... They don't see borders. They're like, we're not... You know, we're an organization that's, we're going to go to Iraq and fix babies that got blown up by Americans, and we're going to go to Native Americans that are sick in reservations, because that's what But that's do. kind of messed up that, like, there has to be, it should just be if you're a doctor, you should be able to do that. Right. But it's never that easy. That's how I think certain countries treat their medical community. Like, I think it's like that in Cuba, because I think I remember hearing that like when there was like an earthquake or uh, I forgot what, where it was but um, the most of the doctors that came to volunteer were from Cuba mm-hmm. and I, I wish I could remember it was somewhere in the, the Caribbean where I may, it might have been a Puerto Rican hurricane or it might have been uh, something I, I can't remember or an earthquake in uh, Dominican but I think I remember hearing that like a lot of doctors who are essentially volunteer doctors anyways in Cuba like because mm-hmm. they don't have uh, an economy like ours they all volunteered to go and help because they're like this is what we do you know um it kind of I, I don't know like I always wonder you know the Hippocratic Oath doctors take you know first do no harm mm-hmm. and that's been around since like the Greeks you know and it's transcended society and, and culture like that that lived as long as like that oath that doctors take has been around before Christ, essentially. Or maybe, you know, maybe right after. Who knows? I'm just guessing. Mm-hmm. Um, I could look it up, but... What else should we be adding to that? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like we should maybe add, hmm, maybe there shouldn't be, like, a... Like, I feel like companies that manufacture medicines and drugs that end up hurting people or getting people addicted or whatever, they should be under the same oath, you know, that, yeah, you're in healthcare, like, do no harm. Meaning, opiates and drugs like that, that they should be, you know, there shouldn't be a way that those drugs can do harm to people um, or they're given to people. I don't know. It's just my thought on it. Yeah. Just rambling. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was gonna let you finish uh, I mean I don't know I mean with the whole thing going on now I'm sure we're gonna find new drugs to push out there for people oh, yeah. and new things new things people are gonna try there's always gonna be people trying holistics thinking that's gonna work but oh, yeah. there's only that so far that could take you I think yeah I, don't know. I mean holistics is cool the idea of it's cool like thinking that the cure is not just a pill or a medicine it's something that's that you can find you know that's a cool idea. It's just, I don't know. I think it's... it's I think I don't, I don't know if people take into consideration that medicine has come a, f- like, a long, 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 long way right. from holistics. Like, holistics was what, like, cavemen, or maybe even, like, the first civilizations used to use. Like, we've gotten to the point now where if you got a headache, you could just take a pill, <laughs> and it goes away within ten minutes. Right. Well, if you think about it, like, Indian cuisine is sort of based in primarily in... Holistics, meaning that all the spices and all the 
powders and curries and everything that they use is, is they think of food as healthcare. You know, it's, it's not like here, it's like you have food, which is restaurants, and you have hospitals, which is healthcare. There, it's like the same thing. It's like your food is your healthcare. It's your medicine, your turmeric, and your um, all these different uh, leaves and, and vegetables that they use. It's all meant to be uh, good for your body, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what a lot of Indian cuisine is based on. And, and I mean, I'm not saying that there's there's truth in it. I'm saying that there's probably a lot of preventative things that can come from holistic things, right? You I'm sure. prevent a lot of stuff. I think there are certain things that you should maybe consider with holistics. And it's a mix of both. Right? And, I, and I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know. Like, it's really about preference, really. I don't know. Like, some people feel better when they drink tea and they drink water and they, like, it gets rid of, like, their stomach ache. But other people feel better when they take Pepto-Bismol instead. So it's like, it's really preference. But I just think that like, there's certain people that I've met at least that think like, oh, holistics is the key to every illness and ailments. But I'm like, I don't know. Like sometimes you got to trust the doc on this one. They've, they have people researching this. Now, someone like, like my mom, she believes in just taking the pill and solving your problem. You know, like if you have a headache, here's medicine. If you have this, like, if you have like an ache, like here's this, you know, like my mom believes that, but. I don't think that's true. I don't think you should just always believe what they tell you that's going to fix you, you know? Right. Like, actually, I don't know. I think the biggest thing, and this is my reason, is uh, when people say they're depressed or anxious, they give them a pill to make them feel better. Now, I'm not saying, I think there are people out there that do need medicine. Right. Because there is probably, like, a wire or a screw loose that, you know, or, like, a fluid, like, that's not, like... the brain. Right. And that's different, but there are certain people, I think now, more than ever, especially my age, where they're like, or my generation, when they're like, I'm feeling depressed, let me go to the doctor, and the doctor's like, you're feeling depressed, you just take 100 milligrams of whatever, and you'll feel better. And it's like, no, I think if you were just like, like, what's helped me, mostly, is just like doing, being active. I think if more people were active and did more things, they'd be happier. Right. It's it's the sitting there and thinking about shit exactly. long, just gives you... You know, you just go down a hole of sitting there with your own conscious and right. worrying about stuff and thinking and letting your brain just go nuts. And I think that there's, yeah, there's definitely a benefit to constantly giving yourself something to do. So I think like, yeah, like like you say, like it's always, if you sit down long enough, you're going to get in your own head. Yeah. It's just going to happen. And I think what's helped me over the years um, is just kind of getting ahead of it. Right. If you can, it's hard. It takes a lot of practice. Right. And I'm not saying I mastered it, but I'm getting better at it. I think it's also acknowledging your feelings. I don't think enough people do that when they're saying like, and that's not acknowledging the feeling like I'm feeling sad. It's like, right. oh, I'm feeling a little anxious today. I'm going to go out. Right. I'm feeling a little angry for some reason or frustrated or something. Like right. being comfortable with something like that. Right. That's something they never teach you. They never taught me that as a kid, especially in my household. <laughs> my parents are old school. They don't talk about anything about feelings. Exactly. <laughs> kind of how I grew up. Yeah. You know? Well, but, I had... Differences with, you know, both. I had extremes on both sides. You know, where it was like one was just no feelings and one was too many feelings, and it was like, okay. There was no balance. Yeah. <laughs> like it was just one or the other. Right. No, I, I get. That. I think, and it's the thing. I'm like, I really do believe that if you, if you don't, if you want to be happy, you can. But if you want to be depressed, you could also do that too. Right. And it's so easy to be depressed. I think nowadays, it's so easy now with quarantine. Now I think it was just too easy because you're literally stuck inside. Right. Everything you want to do or maybe consider doing is closed. 
But I don't know. Like you got to find your own zen or your own happiness it, now. You have to literally, but you can't buy it now. Exactly. You can't just go and and head into a bar and say, you know, I want this thing that's going to make me happy right now because that's where a lot of people. I mean, if you think about it, that's where a lot of people go. Like yeah. not just a bar, but a restaurant or any public place, a library even. Like I'm, I'm craving to go to a bookstore. Yeah, you know, like, me too. <laughs> like I just want to go in there and like flip through the books and you know. Like which, I'm like I'm obsessed now with like. Now that, you know, I've had more time to, like, kind of build my brain with reading. Like, I want to read more. Right. I want to do more things that I never got to do before. Right. Which is, like, the positive way of looking at it. Right. And I think if more people will just, I think, just flip the switch. Maybe once a week and they'll feel better. Right. I don't know. That's just how I think. Yeah. I mean, I think this is definitely showing people that, too. I think there's a lot of people out there that are really finding new hobbies, new activities to do, and things that they're probably just developing better habits. I mean, I know I've gotten... And better, and I've always been the kind of person that, you know, for me to form a habit, it takes a long time and a lot of discipline for me to get in that routine. And mm-hmm. with this going on, I'm like, oh, I can get in that routine. Like that's, you know, it kind of feels like it's a new start. I don't know if you feel the same way. Yeah. In a way, like we were all, or at least some of us, not maybe everyone, but some of us was given a new, a new start for things. And right, right. It kind of, you know, I mean, I'm definitely considering a different job, different career path. Yeah. You know, it's definitely looking like I'm going to have to learn a new skill soon. Um, you know, and it's just a matter of, you know, what, paying attention to what's changing right now and what's going to, you know, uh, end up evolving. You know, I saw a good quote yesterday. is like, you know, you're probably perfectly suited for a job that hasn't been created yet. Hmm. You know, and I was like, hmm. Like, that might be. I mean, it's true. Yeah. and Because uh, who knows what's going to come out of all this. Right. I mean, you're right. It could be like the job you've been looking for. You didn't even know it. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the thing. I'm like, I think if you focus on that, if you right. just focus on that light at the end, like right. of the tunnel, like knowing things right. are gonna go your way. Just think, bouncers at the bar now are gonna have to like scan your temperature. <laughs> you walk in. Like, they're gonna be semi-medical professionals administrating and bouncing. Right. Know? Like it's just gonna be some big tough dude with a face mask you, and. You got a 99.5. You can't come in. Right. <laughs> it's a little too high. Yeah. No, it's just the Coke, I swear. I swear. I'm just picturing River North Park. Oh, God. Man, maybe it'll clean this shit up, man. I don't know. Like, I think before all this happened, I think this is proof that people are gross. And if you go to some of these bars, especially in River North or downtown Chicago, you saw it. Yeah. Like, you saw how grimy people can get. Oh, yeah. It's gross. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of places. Yeah. There's this place that um, I I remember going to with a friend. Uh, Caitlin, just to put it in your head, but we don't have to explain who she is in the, in the <laughs> podcast. Um, but we went to this diner by her house, and I remember we sat at the bar at the diner, and they had the garbage can right next to the, like, like four feet away from me. And they had this, the top on it, and it's, it's like the food top that they put up, mm-hmm. you know, in restaurants where yeah, yeah, yeah. you can just slide food in. And this thing is probably 20 years old. And that's all I can smell in this place. And Probably cleaned only three times in this man. Right. <laughs> like that thing. Need, like, I'm like, how is this place open? And this Ugh. place is kind of semi-famous now because, like, they shot a scene of Chicago PD in it now, so people like come there and mm. you know, it's, it's, it's like it's, the Shameless House. Yeah, it's like yeah. a shitty house, but because it was in Shameless, people go see it. Right, right. right. And yeah, and Caitlin and I went there. I was like, I do not want to eat food here. Like, and Caitlin had no, 
you know her. She has very low standards. So she's just like, all right. I, I, I like those places. Like I was telling you the other day, like, I like those places sometimes. Right. But I'm come to learn, especially after this, I'm like, you're right. Like, with the fact that, like, if I'm going to get breakfast or breakfast food or diner food, I would like to at least enjoy it a little, a little bit. Right, right. A little bit. And it's like, I don't know. It's like, I can make it. Like, that's the thing. Like, I'm totally capable of, of making a breakfast for myself. Like, and it's so easy. And see, that's the thing, though, is like, I, think, I don't know about you, but I've learned how to cook more shit in this last two months than I ever did in the last yeah. year and a half. And I think that's the thing. I'm like, like you said, like, I could cook that better. And it's like, you could cook it better, it'll probably taste better, and you'll like it way better than you would going out. Right. Right. And that, and it's like, you're not spending as much money, you're using what you have, you know, and at the end of the day, it's just like, it's, a, it's a just more rewarding to be a little more self-sufficient, you know? Right. Like, I feel like it's a, it's a more enjoyable experience when you cook for your, your family versus, like going out, paying for your family to eat, yeah. and then going like, oh, look at that fucking and meal, you know? there's parts you don't even remember, is, or the parts that I always think of is, like, you always get those family members or people with you that don't like something on the menu, or they're like, I didn't like that, or I want something like this, and, like, they make it difficult. Right. It's, Which, I have a big family, that's why I say it. Because yeah. when I go, there's always one person that doesn't like something, or... At all. At all. Just like, I'm gonna eat fruit. And... <laughs> I'm just gonna drink the water they gave me. Yeah. And they're gonna complain about that because it's probably tap water. They don't have lemons. Right. Can I get a lemon? I, you know what though? I am. I just want to go to a restaurant. I miss that feeling. I think the thing I miss most about restaurants in, uh, especially in Chicago, like I miss some of the places that were very social oriented, meaning like there are like a lot of industry places that I got accustomed to going to because mm-hmm. I knew a lot of like other people that worked in the. Mm-hmm worked at restaurants would go there after work or you know it was kind of like this cool energy where you would just sit next to somebody and go where do you work oh i work here oh here's my card like in you start talking to them like oh yeah well now i'm gonna come to your restaurant they're gonna come to my restaurant and then mm-hmm. we you know build a small little like network of people that visit each other's places i didn't know that until i pretty much hung out with you where like restaurant managers and owners and bar managers and owners are like a big community yeah, <laughs> like yeah. and it's so tight community it's cool like it's like everyone knows each other but it's not like i don't know how to, it's not it's not as cutthroat as you'd think it, it doesn't would be. need a lot of commitment yeah and it's like everyone's so cool it's like oh yeah, you know i work up there it's like oh i've been around and like everyone's so cool with each other right right it's definitely yeah and that community is like they're the one community that is completely severed by this. Oh, for sure. You know what I mean? For like, sure. If there's any community of people that you were to say like, oh yeah, there's, you know, there's Catholic people. Like, they're a community. And they can't go to church right now. At the same time, it's like, it's not as, uh, like, we sell each other every day in some way or another. You know, it wasn't once a week. It was like three, four nights a week. Yeah. You know, depending on where I was going. You know, if I went to you know, the West Loop, there are people I knew that worked there that I'd see. And then if I went to, you know, the North Side, there are people up there. There are people in River North that I knew. Like, it was always something I would see, or just even in passing, you know, the same coffee shop person every day, or the same, uh, you know, um, man, just thinking walking to work, there was always the same security guard that worked at the, mm-hmm. um, you know, Parking garage. Wow, couldn't think of the place. Um, the place I used to put my car. Um, I wonder but, if they're going to change parking garages now. 
parking garages are going to change? Maybe. Uh, I think everything's going to change. But then again... I don't think everything's going to change. That bathroom we went to in Wisconsin yesterday told me that nothing's changing some, in some places. Oh, <laughs> I, I, reali- I realized that yesterday when I'm like, man... I mean, COVID's hit a lot of places, yeah. but it also has not hit a lot. Yeah, <laughs> like, it has not hit this truck stop. Right. Like, there's a lot of places that are like, eh, yeah. it's fine. Yeah, it like, was like normal being there. Like, when we went to the gas station, I uh, the and I stopped to go to the bathroom, I went in and bought something, and the the, the, the cashiers didn't even have masks yeah. or gloves. Yeah. They were, like, working their shift. Yeah. And I'm like... They did have the screen up, though. The plastic, the, well, they, yeah. right. But, like, I'm like, they seem like they're okay. I, right. I think it was a little bit too much fear... I think what it's going to come down to is, yeah, we have to do this thing with the masks and then, you know, the sanitizer and all that. Once that's all over, it's just going to be back to being hyper-vigilant about hygiene. You know, it's, it's just going to be an even more presence of, you know, constantly making sure your employees are washing their hands and cleaning up areas. Which they should be doing. Yeah, they should be. Yeah. Yeah. Not that so, they do. Right. But I'm like... Right. This is just, I'm telling you, this whole thing just shows how gross people are. Right. And I've been saying it for years. I'm like, people are fucking gross. I worked at a front desk at a hotel, and I could tell you that every time I got sick, I was positive it was because it was because either I went to the public bathroom mm-hmm. or because someone I interacted with at the desk. Yeah. And, I mean, that's just me, but at the same time, I'm like, just people are gross. They're just gross. Like, how often do you see, how, I, I'm going to ask you this question. How often do you go to the bathroom? With, and there's someone else in there. And say they just used the stall. And you see them walk right out. They don't even wash their hands. Oh, I mean, I've seen coworkers do it. Right? Like, <laughs> it's like, what are you doing, right. dude? Like, it's gross. Right. And something that drives me nuts, too, I, it, is when people wash their hands, right? Mm-hmm. But they don't dry them. So then they touch, like, the handle. Yeah. And I'm like, you're just... You, you, what was the point of washing your hands? The my, whole thing? my routine for, like, the last whew, 10 years at a bathroom... Is that like when I wash my hands and I get the paper towels, which I don't usually use the blowing ones unless that's the only option, right? Yeah, like, no. But I always get a paper towel because what I do is I dry my hands off and then I use that towel to, to open the door, it. Right, and right. And I Kobe into the. <laughs> it's know? a great feeling. I actually, you know, what's crazy is I saw something before I was, uh, at the Thompson Center in downtown because <coughs> uh, I used to get off the train. I went yeah. to the bathroom. And I really had to go. Right. And I'm like, that's the only way I ever go to the bathroom in Thompson Center, because that's where, like, the homeless people sleep. Right. But they had this thing where you could put, I think you've seen it before, where you put your foot at the bottom, and you use your foot to open the door. It's like a little, like, ledge or something, or, like, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like, you literally put your foot on the bottom, and you use your foot to open the door instead of using your hands. Right, right. I'm like, why don't most most places do that? I don't know. I got some really expensive shoes. I wouldn't use that. Good point. Yeah. Well, that's the option of using it. Right, right, You can still use your hands. Oh, I know, I know. But it's just like someone like me, like I don't give a fuck. Unless I'm, at, I mean, I don't know. Not trying to sound bougie, but like no, I get what the, you mean because if I, I had like nice. if I have like work shoes, like right. these nice like dress shoes, and then or like if I'm at a place at like an event, right? I, I don't want to get it dirty because I you think know? what people need to do is like we we just need to innovate in that in that area, right? Like you need to start a not you personally, but you know someone out there could right now start a like if they have a bathroom renovation company which was probably a few of them yeah um specialize in making the most hygienic bathrooms available and then you know market that to these new businesses and then when they you know when they make these new requirements for you know how to operate when they open things back up like oh yeah you need to you know like think about like when things became uh more handicap accessible right you need to become handicap compliant all right you need 
a bathroom that has a bar in it and has a stall that this a wheelchair can get in, and you have to have at least one ramp that leads into the building, and you have to have all these you know different things in place, right? Standards went in place. The world became a little bit more habitable for handicapped people. I'm not saying it's perfect. Definitely not. It's a lot easier now than it was before. Right, right. right. Yeah. You know, you're right about that. But it's definitely not perfect. But we, we definitely put in a bare minimum of standards, and you can you know even go further with that. Like I had this idea that like in a hotel like. I don't make everything handicap accessible and I get like space and doorways and all that bathroom space like it's it's hard to do but if you build it from the ground up and make everything handicap accept, accessible it inconveniences nobody right nobody's like oh this, bed, I this think door is too big if they did like but to build no, off no, of, no, 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 no. what I'm trying to get at is that's what we need to do with COVID-19 we need to set a you know um, requirements for places to open up okay your bathroom needs to have this installed this installed these things need to be in place, you know, um, and then uh, and then work from there, right? So there's your bathroom, man. That's the most. That's where I would start with as a if I was constructing this reopening of businesses. Like, okay, let's start with the bathrooms. Let's work on the kitchens. Let's work on you know the areas where we come in contact with the food. Let's make sure we have things in place to you know do that. And then now we can go. Okay, like now we can start opening things back up. Now we can start putting tables closer together again. And, you know, my server doesn't have to wear a face mask because, you know, whatever. We 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 solved a lot. We. I don't know how safe I'd. F- I, I I just don't. I mean, the. I don't know. Like. I'm obviously not smart enough, or maybe not tactical enough to figure that out. But the way I look at it is, I don't feel safer with someone serving my food with a mask. I don't know why. Yeah, because you know they're just going behind the corner, sliding that mask down, eating one of your French fries. You know, <laughs> you know like I'm like, I don't. I'm, I call me, I guess, old school, but like, I already know that shit's probably not the cleanest. Right. It's but, only there's. It's like it's only so much you can make things clean. But there's also herd, and you have to take that risk. But there is also herd immunity that definitely does protect us from a lot of things, and social distancing will. Social distancing helps us out with this one particular virus. But social distancing is bad for, you know, normal herd immunity that we're already getting. Right. You know? I think there is a natural, um, like you said, like, immunity from just right. interacting with people. Right. Like, I'm I'm pretty sure, just as an example, I gain more of immunity taking the train right. than, say, someone who oh. commutes in their car. Because I'm interacting with people close when the train is packed and everything. Now, I'm also taking the risk of getting sick. Right. So there's, like, there's, I guess, like, there's good things and bad things you take from it right well the thing is is like i i used to work at a restaurant that was pretty it had a lot of kids that it was one of those like kid family friendly restaurants and i was in charge of cleaning a lot of that place a lot of the time is it Chuck E. cheese shut up (laughs) um so i worked there for a while like it was like my high school job i never got sick once and then again I was like 17 to 21, so it wasn't like, you know, I, I was in the healthiest I would have probably would have been in my life anyways, you know, I was active every day of the week, you know, <laughs> it wasn't like, uh, and it was before I was 21, so it wasn't like I was drinking a lot either, you know, you know like the occasional backyard party here and there, but not like I can go anywhere and get a drink kind of drink, mm-hmm. you know, you think of all the things that would hinder my immunity during that time, I was doing way less of them than I do now, so... Uh, that probably contributed to it. But then again, I worked there every single day and never got sick once. I never took a sick day. The one time I did was like probably a hangover or a concert I wanted to go to. 
even then though like still now but like when i was younger like 18 i never got hungover if i was hungover it's because i was tired right hangover can be a lot of things right it could be a lot of uh, contributing factors to a hangover. It could be how loud the music was that you were at that night. It could be how much water you didn't drink. You know, it could be, you know, a hangover is like a catch-all for a lot of the shitty feelings that you feel the next day. I think the, know, worst hang- the worst thing I ever got was drinking uh, college drinks, like well drinks. Oh. That was the worst fucking hangover I had. The worst life. was at a party I had where there was jungle juice. Oh, yeah. oh man. And, a, and, yeah. they, and they hid it yeah. in their water cooler living room like that they took like a five gallon hinkley schmidt water cooler and uh-huh. filled it with jungle juice oh god so everyone was just going and refilling their glass i don't know i don't know why i did that that was stupid you were I, young. Asked them, <laughs> I asked them what was in this everclear what oh god what i'm trying to blind a man yeah oh man i remember that night oh oh i just threw up a little <laughs> uh, oh god i should not Fuck man! Details. Everyone has an Everclear story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you learn, you you get a chance to learn from that mistake. I hope. I had a friend who was in college, and he was uh, he was just going at it like in his frat, like he had joined a frat. Yeah. And for some reason, his thing was drinking Everclear. So when he'd come home, back to like uh, where we all grew up, he would always want to get Everclear. I'm like, dude, what the fuck's wrong with you, man? Yeah. Like, are you okay? Like, do you need to go to an AA meeting or some that's, shit? Yeah, that's. Because he wouldn't, like, we would buy, like, beer, whiskey, and whatever, like Jack Daniels, because it's cheap. Right. He wouldn't drink it. He would right. just drink Everclear. That guy wanted lights out. I, like, you know, right. <laughs> no, that's the thing, though. Is I think that's what it was, is because he just wanted to get fucked up and black out. Yeah. He always blacked out. Wow. Always. And one of us always had to drive him home. Even though it was up the street, but still, like, yeah. one of us always had to drive him home, because he was just getting, just blackout drunk. And I'm like, you're not even enjoying it, bro. Like, now he doesn't drink Everclear anymore, thank God. Yeah. But he went on like a good year and a half spurt of just drinking Everclear. That is, I mean, I'm glad he recovered from that. I can imagine just not being able to get off of that. Oh, God. <laughs> I just, I don't know. To me, it always smelled like uh, rubbing alcohol. It is. Like, it's essentially, I mean, it's pure grain alcohol. Ugh. It's pure ethyl alcohol. It's literally like... You know what I never had, though, is moonshine. Moonshine any good? Uh, well, moonshine now, like the kind that you get in the store, isn't really like moonshine that you would have gotten from somebody that made it in their backyard. It's it's a, it's regulated. Mm. Basically, all moonshine is is just a, a clear alcohol that could be made from essentially anything. You can make it from corn. You can make it from barley. It's a, it's essentially beer that's been fermented. It's like whiskey before it gets put in the barrel. So the stories of people making it in their bathtub. Is that possible? Well, the bathtub isn't where it was made. The bathtub was where it was would have been flavored or aged. So you, I mean, unless they put a still in their bathroom, like that's because that's you need the only a, way, right? What yeah, that would be the only way. Yeah, you need you need the still first, and the still would be out in a field, because if that thing blows up, you don't want to be anywhere near it. Mm. Um, if, I mean, there's been people that had stills in their house and blew themselves up. I mean, that's a very common way to have a house blow up, either meth lab or a still. Um, but you're essentially you're taking alcohol out of solution from something like beer or wine or whatever whatever it is you're distilling and you're turning it into a vapor that's going to condense itself into alcohol now during that vaporization process vapor is like 10 times more ignitable than um than liquid form mm. you know so because it's in the air it's it's uh, aerosolized so do, do you cover that or do you well that's what i'm saying if there's, a, if there's a leak or any type of open flame gets near that it can blow up a good 
you're talking about people that like made a homemade rig. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not talking about like um, so when they when they professionally actually, right. welded. You know, this is something that like my uncle made, and I'm gonna cook it. You know, in my bed. You know what I'm saying? It's not. It's not. It's not like made right. Right, yeah, right, and, yeah. and that's and that's what could lead. To, I mean, yeah, you can get a good one made, and your chances of blowing up are unlikely. I'm just talking about like the history of making moonshine was a very dangerous and you know. Um, you know, there wasn't there wasn't a lot of regulation involved in making moonshine, and that's why people would get all yeah. goofy from drinking it. And then if you were flavoring it yourself in your bathtub, you would fill your bathtub up with the moonshine or the gin or whatever it was that you were in. Then when you would have the juniper berries or you know some mm-hmm. some sort of leaf or t- some people did tobacco. I mean, it was ooh yeah. Um, What's what does it t- what is, what was like the taste like? Was it like sour? Or was it like yeah? Plain moonshine would have tasted like vodka. It would have tasted like nothing. Uh, yeah. okay. That's why you flavored it. It would be. It would taste like alcohol. What's the um, percentage on there? Or well, the, back uh, then there wasn't. What is it? The called the. Uh... Man, I learned this last year when we went to the Buffalo the Trace. Proof. Proof. There yeah. you go. Got so it. Sound like a jerk. <laughs> with moonshine that was made back in the day, like during Prohibition or any any hobbyist that's making moonshine, they can make a moon, they can make it proofed up to you know what the highest proof you can get is is 100% alcohol, right? You can make 100% ethyl alcohol with, I mean, close to it, right? To be to make it safe to drink, you know, it would have to be around 60%, so 120 proof. Um, so I got a question. Go on. So back in, like, we'll say the 15th century. 15th century. Or, like, way back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they would make alcohol, what would they use? So before distillation, they were just making uh, low alcohol things like uh, wine and beer, you know. And then the Moors actually were the ones that discovered uh, distillation. When they were going through their renaissance, which was during the Europeans' Dark Ages, right? So you had the fall of Rome, and you have the Dark Ages. And then during the Dark Ages, you have um, the Moors, uh, which were, you know, of uh, uh, Arabic mm-hmm. and Muslim. Um, and they were the ones <laughs> that discovered distillation, but they didn't drink alcohol. They were using it for making perfumes and for making um, uh, certain medicines and stuff like that. And then when they went into Spain, um, they introduced the distillation to the Spaniards. And the Spain, um, they started making cider. That was the first thing that uh, they, or brandy, I'm sorry. So the first thing that would have been ever distilled, they would have taken uh, apple cider and distilled that to a brandy, which would have been like Calvados or something. And that would have been what the would first. That, what would that machinery look like back then? It looked like a like a magic genie lamp, but like bigger. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it looked like yeah. It was it was usually a very big looking pot with like a spout on it, and it dripped into a. Was it a big pot, the size of a room, or like? No, maybe the size of a table, like a. So like when the. When the when they would make these things, they would have a would they make it in their house or like in a warehouse? It'd probably be outside somewhere, like by a fire. Got it. You know, you get a fire going and, and put it over it and uh, bring you know the temperature up. I don't know what they used to measure temperature back then, but you know they probably had some sort of uh, indication of when, they eyeballed it. Yeah, they yeah essentially, <laughs> or they might have had a tool. Who knows? Yeah. Like, I mean, it was so long ago. They might have had some way to gauge you know what. It was getting to. I don't. I haven't looked that much into it. I've done a little bit of research on it because I got really curious yeah. into knowing. But 
you know, you got to think wine and beer have been and mead have been made for centuries. Right. Um, and that's what I think of. I'm like, because you always hear the stories of like pirates. Right. right. Back in the day. So yeah. So uh, yeah. That 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 goes into another. Um, that's like your 1700s. You know, 16, 1700s is when you're getting into to rum, and and so rum wasn't discovered until the Americas were disco- uh, discovered because that they used sugar cane. Um, and once they brought dis, um, distillation to the to the new world, sugarcane was readily available, and that's when they started making rum. And they would make uh, navy proof rum, which was the navy would have high proof rum. And the way they would test it was that they would take gunpowder and pour a little bit of rum over it, and if they lit it, and it lit like you know, it was good stuff. It was good stuff. Yeah, it was hundred proof. Hmm. Yeah. So man, those pirates were crazy. Um, well, that was it was the navy and pirates, right? right. So it wasn't just um, pirates, but I mean, you can go, I mean, there's so many different cultural and, and, um, you know, historical relevance to the consumption of alcohol and production of it throughout history where, you know, things got discovered by accident or, you know, um, you know, one of my favorite things is like, you know, you look at Scotland, you know, and they, they took, you know, when, when eventually they got distillation, you know, they took barley wine and started, you know, distilling that into uh whiskey which then became known as scotch um and back then like they were really superstitious about the way they did it so like let's say they had a still and it produced scotch a certain way you know and it had a bunch of dings in it from all the times you know people bumped into it or you know so like if they got a new one they would ding it in all the same spots that the old one had it so that the flavor would still stay the same so like this is back in the 1600s and then, like, later on, like, hundreds of years later, they come to realize, like, that actually worked, and it had nothing to do with superstition, but the way that, like, alcohol condensed and, and you're changing the surface area of the inside of the, the still changes the flavor of the, of the alcohol. Yeah, of the alcohol. Just tiny, minute changes <clears throat> would drastically change the flavor. Um, and so, I mean, there's so many cool things about it. Like, Where, where would I start to, like, look into that kind of stuff? Should I start from the beginning, like, when beer and wine, like you said? Well, like, I mean, or should I work my way backwards? There's no one source, I think. Should there should be. Who should do it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Write a book about the history of alcohol. Man, I mean, I mean it I, probably is a book, but I mean, I, I can make it fun. Um, I was gonna say, like, I'd be like, if you made it interactive, maybe a little bit for people. Yeah. That'd be pretty cool. Maps are fun. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's because you know, there's there's so much history of alcohol that it's. You know, you gotta think like the first. I mean, alcohol was around even during when Jesus was around. Before that. Yeah, even before that. When we were coming out, I get when agri. I would say the beginning of agriculture was probably in for the production of beer. Yeah. Like it, it is the the idea that hunter gatherers went from being hunter gatherers to um, agri uh, the word is agrarian. I'm trying to say. Um, to agrarian societies basically is based on the fact that they needed to stay still. And the reason they wanted to stay still was to sow crops for the production of uh, wheat and barley and, and making beer because that became the, uh, the, the keystone into uh, settling in, you know, and building walls and fences and uh, houses instead of tents and huts, you know, mm-hmm. like it became more about, okay, instead of chasing the herd or finding wild flowers and roots that we can eat 
what if we just grew them here and then now we can just produce our own thing and if you produce something that can preserve water like beer because that's that was actually another important piece of it was that you know when you're making beer you're you're basically extending the shelf life of all the water that's inside it because water goes stagnant mm -hmm. you know and if you throw if you throw yeast and sugar in there and the in the yeast becomes the dominant bacteria uh no other bacteria are going to get in there mm -hmm. so for a long time the healthiest way to consume water was through an alcoholic beverage well i mean wasn't it more filling back then too no not that it wasn't more filling it was safer right because if you went to oh a i'm sure because the water wasn't filtered right. so like yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. you don't know what was in that right. if a cat, <laughs> like if a cattle died you know upstream 20 miles and your stream is here like that dead bodies just you know streaming along right. all these you know decaying and you're drinking it yeah so that for a long time civilization depended so, i was just i'm amazed by how far we've come like those babies that were then like you get baby formula now right right and you got like all these things it's like back in the day they didn't have any of that shit oh yeah breast milk That's any the of that way to do it yeah and if your woman couldn't produce breast milk she was she was in yeah, she you know, couldn't have babies with her. And that's why we probably find women with, you know, yeah, larger breasts attractive. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a psychological thing that goes on. Oh, God, it's funny. We think it's because of, you know. I think it's like, yeah, like it's, it's, it's like, uh, it's like instilled in our brain. All right. Like, our, like, it's like our ancestors are talking to us. Right, essentially, yeah. I mean, we're, we're the product of that. Right. You know what I mean? Like, we're the product of human beings doing whatever it took to survive and that's why i think right now you hear that ladies it's a compliment it's a compliment <laughs> when a guy's look it's a compliment right. <laughs> oh mean, god it's, it's so it it's like when you study it from like an anthropology like lens and go like okay we didn't just wake up yesterday and assume these bodies you mm -hmm. know these came from somewhere and all those people that survived Plagues and Sorry. dysentery and um, trying to think of all the other things. I mean, oh man, you got like yellow fever. You got all the fevers yeah, that yeah. come through the all flus. All the fevers, all the flus. Like, like smallpox. You got like we're the descendants of the people that survived those things. Huh? You know, like if not, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Now our descendants gonna be the survivors of COVID. Right. <laughs> Which is true though, because it is gonna be on there. Right. It is. It'll be in the genes. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. that's how they determine certain things when they look at DNA of certain people. It's like, okay, how do we see how old this person was when they died? You know, they look at the genetic material and it's like, okay, well, well, first, it's not irradiated, so they were born, you know, before the bombs went off, you mm -hmm. know, and because that actually is an indication, right? Yeah. There's certain uh, elements in the atmosphere that don't exist, that didn't exist pre-1945. The craziest thing is the reports of like those people that survived uh, or were not even close, but we'll say like 100 miles to 200 miles away from Hiroshima and Nagasaki oh, yeah. and their great, great kids, like grandkids now are still feeling the effects of that. Like, yeah. That is insane. Oh, yeah. You know, like leukemia. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of stuff. Yeah. That's crazy. Right. They have birth defects. Like they're not born as like they're usually like premature or like something's wrong with them when they're grow like when they're growing up or something right it's crazy right and that happened almost 100 years ago yeah i mean we're getting close to a 100 year anniversary of that but it's it's crazy to think that in that time that was the last thing you know what i mean we've basically been in a worldwide stalemate since that happened 
Yeah. You know, like I think that showed like how bad things could get, but that's not even the worst things could get. I mean, what would you rather have? I mean, I like where things are now. Would Don't get have, me wrong. I'm not trying to start. Would you, have a lot of, <laughs> would you rather have a lot of little battles that take you know years to end, or would you rather have somebody holding the one big bomb that keeps everyone safe, but it's under fear? You know, it's yeah. just countries don't make moves now because they can't because somebody, well, a lot of us have, you know. Well, there's that big scare uh, when um, the U.S. attacked that uh, base in Iran. Yeah. And everyone thought Iran was going to send a nuke over here. All right. It seems like that's a scare nowadays. Like you said, right. no one can make a move. No one can do anything now. Right. I don't know. We're tribal. Right. Humans are naturally tribal. And, and part like, of being of a tribe is attacking and defending. Right, because you're afraid of the unknown. You're afraid of the other. Well, it's like uh, when, when, when in a camp, I feel like, and you don't have enough supplies to feed everyone, what do you do? Like, you gotta... You gotta make a decision. Right. You gotta make more space for right. everyone. So right. they could get more food, so everyone could be okay. Right. How do you do that? Well, you take over other lands. Right. So it's like... And you gotta think, human beings were that longer than we were ever this, you know? Yeah. Living in cities and pretending like we like each other. Right. You know? Like, I mean, like, you're not wrong. <laughs> like, that's the thing. Like, we were longer, a lo- like, from the time humans walked upright till the time we had the cell phone, like, or let's say the from from the time humans walked upright to the, to the ages of Rome... We were that longer than we were uh, from Romans till now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, just think about how many, and like, think about how many different tribes of people had to do different things to survive. You know, you probably have areas of the world that were at a much more peaceful civilization. When there's other parts of the world that like literally had to scrap by and pillage their neighbors for you know hundreds of years before they were like, hey, let's get a city going, you know, start commercial trade, or you know the. British come in and decide they're going to run things for a while. And, right. You know. I think the craziest thing is that if you look on a timeline of how long Earth has been here, and like how long humans have been here, it's like nothing. Right. Humans have only been here for what? What would you say? So Maybe the, way, the, years? Best, the best way it's ever described to me is that if you think of the timeline of the Earth till now, um, till, to, to when human beings started walking the Earth, so think about like the the... Uh, that one end zone being day one of Earth, and the last end zone being you know now present day. We're like one blade of grass from the end zone. Like that's that's how long, you know. Yeah. If you think it's of nothing. Yeah, that's how long we've been here. One blade of grass, you know. And and, and, uh, and you look back, like look how far humans have gone. Right. Thousands of years. Right. And it's nothing. Right. <laughs> like that's crazy. Right. That's why I want to become a multi-planet species. You know, it's like. We have two options. We can sit on this planet and ride this thing out until it's over and we used up every available resource and there's nothing left and humans just, you know, fight for the last few scraps or whatever. Or we branch out and start colonies in places. Yeah, it's going to be hard to do and it's going to be take a lot of work. And Well, um, that's what we have to do. For if we want this thing to go, right? Yeah. Or do we want to evolve into something else, right? Do we want to, you know, put the neural link in our brains and, you know, become giant walking computers you know that i think either way we're gonna have to use technology (laughs) but i think i think it'll definitely be society will split it'll be like do you ever read the time machine Mm -mm. oh they Mm -hmm. had like uh the people that went underground and and rejected technology and they became like these like uh monsters essentially and then there's the people that live free in the lands and um 
they became like uh, almost like uh, Native Americans again, you know, like where they were just tree-dwelling, happy-go-lucky people, and every once in a while, these things from the ground would rise up and drag them underneath because they were eating people. I don't know. It was, I, I don't it was know. It's a weird thing, but it's like, at, at one point, does it diverge till we become two separate species? Because that's how humans came to be in the first place. You know, species at one point took a giant leap towards being bipedal and, you know, only having hair on their face to, you know, um, there were other things that didn't make the cut, mm. right? Like, there were other things that walked upright and didn't have a long enough stride or didn't have the endurance that humans did to survive longer winters or whatever whatever it was that got us to here there were other things in other parts of the world that didn't make it you know so we got to think at some point our descendants are going to reach that point too where you know you either like what happens if we're all integrated into technology, right? Like let's say we all get this implant that allows us to interface with computers in ways that we can't even imagine. And then something happens like an energy crisis or a way to uh, do this. Then you're going to have generations of people that used to have technology to compete with that all of a sudden don't have that anymore. And they're basically, they didn't learn anything. They didn't uh, develop the skills that were needed to socialize in the right way, the, the human way. Mm. Um, I don't know. Sounds like a pretty cool sci-fi. <laughs> I'm just I'm saying. always thinking pretty cool sci-fi. <laughs> that my, sounds pretty cool. That's my, like, wheelhouse. Like, I get so into science fiction movies. Like, they make me so... Like, whenever a good one comes out, I'm just like, oh, yes, can't wait. What was the last, what was the last great science fiction movie you've seen? <sighs> I'd say it's a tie between... Arrival and um, Blade Runner 2049. When did those movies come out? Like 2017? Three? So like three years ago? 2018, yeah. Did you ever watch, uh, what's that movie that Brad Pitt came out with last year? Ed Astra? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I watched it. Was that any good? I, it was good. I just didn't really, uh, I'd probably have to watch it again. I was a little... I've heard mixed things. It didn't draw me in. I didn't look anything. Yeah. I, I, honestly, I remember watching the... Uh, the trailer and thinking like I don't know right I'm not interested right it didn't draw me in like I, I couldn't buy into the relationship that Brad Pitt had with his dad Tommy Lee Jones in the movie that's like, who the dad was yeah. I was trying to think who it was yeah I couldn't I couldn't really buy into that like how they set it up and how they were telling the story like they were giving a little details along the way and, and everything about their past and stuff that happened um which I I don't know it the movie was too somber it wasn't exciting enough for what it was about mm. you know slow moving yeah not slow moving but it was just like it was an awesome looking movie but the plot was not awesome you know what i'm saying like yeah. it was like this eh, i don't know it just kind of reminds me of what we were talking about the other day about like what hasn't been done in a space movie or science that's hard movie. to say yeah it's really hard now um you know you gotta think there needs to be like a new technological breakthrough that kind of opens things up to wondering what else we can do in space or wonder what 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 science fiction element could we explore. We gotta start talking about dimensions. I think that's the dimensions, next thing. Yeah. Like that's the next like space has been explored in some ways. I right. think if we start talking about dimensions. Well that's what I really liked about Doctor Sleep when we watched that the other night. Because, oh my god, yes. Because that that brought up something that I oh man. So to set it up, Doctor Sleep is the a sequel to The Shining and 
um, one of the main characters in it uses something called astral projection to uh, do the thing that she wants to do or whatever, communicate with whoever. To use her shining. To use her shining. Yeah. <laughs> to get sued. <laughs> um, anyway, the, the point I was trying to make was that like when I was unemployed like during the whole economic crash of 08, 09, like, I had a good three or four months where like I couldn't find work and I got really into like learning about lucid dreaming and astral projection. And there's like techniques that you train you train your mind to do and I successfully did it twice on purpose and then one of the side effects of doing astral projection is that your body also gets into the habit of um, it's called sleep paralysis, right? Because they're kind of similar. You're basically allowing your body to be conscious while in the dream state. Um, and what I experienced in the first two times that I did that, it was pretty, it definitely gave me the sense that there's another dimension or another realm um, that you can access. You know, and I'm not saying it's anything like DMT. I, I, like, or, I, I like the idea that, um, that they have in the movie that they touched upon a little bit was that, because um, they didn't really do it much in the first movie. They do in the book, but not in the movie. Right. Where they're like, everyone has the shining. Right. They just don't know it. Right. Sometimes it's suppressed. Right. So like the idea that like, you ever, like it's kind of like the idea, like you ever hear that little voice in your head? Right. They, they, they call it your gut feeling, I guess. Yeah. Telling you, it's like, like, oh, I think I know this person. This person's a good person. Right. It's a bad person. Like the idea that that's your shining. Right. But like what I liked about the movie is that they explored it. Like right. how, like, like you said, like the girl, um, just exploring it in like ways that you couldn't even think of like right. it was just like this is crazy like being able to communicate just with other people whom you've never met right and you're just able to do it all well the thing i don't that, know like it was the great thing they got right though was like when she's communicating with that one woman and she sees the she doesn't realize she's being followed in the dream or in the the astral projection she doesn't know that she's there until she sees her in the reflection now, one of the things that they tell you, if you read into lucid dreaming or into um, uh, astral projection, like if you want to practice it, they tell you don't look in mirrors, don't look in reflective surfaces when you're doing it. So the first time I ever lucid dreamed, I woke up in my room and I was exploring my apartment and then I started to like sort of manipulate the environment a little bit and do things and it was almost like I could look back and see myself and things and the the lighting was different like there was a different like it was nighttime but it was the room was lit but not from any particular source of light like it was like sunny out or the lights mm -hmm. were on and I ended up like my heart rate started to go up because I started to realize I can control things and then I woke up right so then I tried it again and I had a little bit more control but then I like couldn't help myself but look in the mirror mm. an idiot so I look in the mirror and right as I do that I see myself but like I see the mind's version of myself. Like, I see myself without flaws or, you know, any sort of way that I, like, how I envision, like, my avatar, essentially. It was, like, really weird. It was like, oh, that's me. Like, I recognize that, but I'm, like, perfect mm -hmm. in every way. And it was probably, like, my ego or my vanity or whatever it was that I was looking into. But right as I did that, that's when the, like, dream or state started to, like, uh, know that I was in it, you know? Um, like, the weather changed. And, right. and I opened my blinds and there were people everywhere. Right. Like, I was like, holy shit, like, what's going on? And then I was like, I need to go, like, shut the door, yeah. you know, make sure the door's locked or whatever. So I go to, like, lock the door, and as I'm locking it, the, the doorknob starts to turn, and, and the lock starts to open, and I'm pushing on it, and all of a sudden, I wake up, I'm like, fuck. <laughs> you know, and I, like, I get up, and I'm like, 
the first thing I do is go to the Holy door. Holy shit, man. And the door's open. Oh, my God. Yeah. You think you opened it? I don't know what happened, but it was open. So ever since then, I stopped messing with it. But then what would happen was I started getting the sleep paralysis. And the sleep paralysis is because of the training that you do to, to enter into the lucid state. So, like, there's a few routines that you do. It's like when you're sleeping, you, you sleep for six hours. You wake up for one hour. Just be awake. Don't do anything. Don't exercise. Don't, you know, just sit there and be awake for an hour. And then go back to sleep. And you also want to start a dream journal. So what I would do is I would wake up after the six hours, start writing down my dreams. Because you want your memory to start remembering that dream state and what that's like. Where, where it's at in your mind. So that you can enter it. So, um, but the sleep paralysis is the side effect. It's when it happens uh, without you having control over it. So you wake up in the dream state, and it's like you're tethered. You can't move. Um, and That's a lot scary. Of, yeah. And a lot of times what happens... That's something you see in, like, uh, scary movies. And right. Stuff. But I've heard about that before. But there's always something there. Yeah. There's always a demon in the room. I've, I've, uh, I, I, I looked into lucid dreams and, like, uh, paralysis, like sleep paralysis right. before. Um, I never, like, did it. Right. But I just remember reading, like, oh, there's parts where, like, the worst thing's happening and you can't move. Right. Or, like, you're dreaming and, like, I don't know, like you said, like, demons or something's in there with you. I had a dream one time that somebody was digging a hole in my room to put me in it. And I couldn't move. Could that's not move. scary, man. Yeah. And Do you think that's what people see before they die? Well, I think it can be mistaken for alien uh, uh, abductions. I think people that think they have very vivid experience of alien abductions were lucid think, dreaming, or not lucid dreaming, but sleep paralysis. Could be, yeah, because there's definitely a, a similar element yeah. to it, and it's always malevolent. Like I don't know anybody that's ha- had had sleep paralysis experience and ex- experienced something benevolent. It's always something malevolent in the room with you, and I think it might just be your brain making up that feeling of of not being in control. That something might be suppressing your your control and then your body manifests it as like a dark figure or something looming over you right you know but then that's when i was like i Whew. stopped doing anything i stopped uh, writing no, down. Man. <laughs> I stopped, but that's the thing that triggered me in dr sleep was watching that movie and seeing that scene where she sees the reflection in the dream and immediately knows like something's up because that's when i realized that because even um they they because even in the first movie, you see shit like that. Yeah. Like, well, at least Danny did the kid. Right. That movie was great. Yeah. Like, anyone listening to this, if you love the first movie or the book, you gotta read, or not read, you gotta watch the Doctor second scene. Yeah, it was great. They did such a good job paying attention to the little details, not in the way that Kubrick did it, but in their own way. They, they made this movie as if, like, the first one... Like a continuation. It right. felt literally like a continuation of the first one. They bridged the gap between the movie and the and, book. And I feel why I like this one was because if you watch the first one, and I think it was it was obviously done on purpose by Kubrick, was that there's a lot of like uncertainty. Like, you don't know what's yeah. happening. Right, right. They never right. really explain what's happening. Right. So you're just kind of left for interpretation. This one, which they I would that, say they did that for the first act. Right, and, and then, then like tied it all together it, at that moment. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, but if you're a fan of the first one, think like interpreting it, don't watch Doctor Sleep. Right. Like if you want to leave it as is, do it. But if you're interested in like the lore and like how things are. Right. And, like, the more about The Shining, definitely watch it. Right. Like, I was a big fan of it. I liked it. I love that they took their time with it. Like, yeah. that was the thing that made it... Because it's, like, almost a three-hour-long movie. Right. And that's what I didn't like about the It movies was that they kind of rushed it, you know? Like, that... Um, yeah. I never read the book, but I know that... That was one of the books I read. Yeah, I don't know. Mistakenly. Well. <laughs> oh, God. I, I never... I think the It story, the first part... I haven't seen part two, but the first part was, like... 
think they went in a little bit too long with it. The second it? Yeah. I didn't see that one yet. Oh, the new one? Yeah. I you haven't see, watched the new one? I didn't see the second part of the new one. I, oh, haven't, I haven't watched seen. it either. Oh. But I've heard... No, what I mean is part one, what I like, what I didn't like about it was like... I was like, I don't know. This is like almost three hours long now. Right. I don't know if I want to... Well, who was the... Too much. There was definitely... The guy from True Detective was attached to directing at first. Carrie Fukunuka. Yeah, he wrote, the, yeah. he wrote the screenplay yeah. for it, though. And yeah. the reason he dropped out was because he wanted to tell a story about characters and the studio wanted archetypes, yeah. not characters. And, he, and I kind of agreed with him because mm-hmm. I was like, man, what do you do with True Detective? If he can do that with it, like that would be a really great movie. And then I remembered reading that going into the movie and I think that's what set me up because I was looking for archetypes and not for characters and so the character development seemed very uh hollywood you know it seemed i very think with like, um stephen kid it happens a lot with his movies like that are based on his books where like you said it eliminates that character right it turns into an archetype right or it becomes more about the performance than the actual character right and i think you lose that because when you read his books you're just kind of getting like you into get drawn it. in right yeah, yeah. And I think Dr. Sleep did that perfectly. Right. Where I think you could honestly say if this... I haven't read the book, but I'm going to, but like it felt like I was watching <laughs> like a, an adapt- adaptation of a Stephen Cake uh, story. What? With Dr. Sleep? Yeah, because like, it was very no-holds-barred with the way it perceived like, right. I would its say characters. It's probably one of the best adaptations that's ever been done. Because all his characters, every single one in this movie has flaws. Right. And that's that's what I like. I right. like no in in most movies, especially Hollywood, does it a lot where like the heroes never have flaws, right? And I if they I... do, it's a major flaw, right? Whereas like throughout this movie, I felt like what I liked is like a lot of these characters had they were human, yeah, like they had minor flaws to it, yeah, and they're not like this big, like I don't know, and, and they explored it, right? right? Like you yeah. know that like that that's why I meant like that whole first act was so beautifully um, put together because you're watching. Danny go through AA meetings and then he finds his purpose in working in hospice and you know it's like I'm not going to try to spoil I'm, not, I'm just <laughs> going to set up the first act but you know um, he's he's working in hospice and I remember not the book Dr. Sleep because I didn't read it but like I remember there were these long scenes in the, in the movie <clears throat> where he's talking to people and I'm like that's what Stephen King would do is he would probably he wrote these long scenes in movies where it's just a conversation between two people that took place and you know and then you'd watch the movie based off that and I'm like oh that scene wasn't as good as the book was you know or mm-hmm. that scene they left out a lot of they just took the best parts about it and then when they show it in the movie it doesn't have the substance it didn't hit the same way right. in the book right you know whereas I felt like in the in Doctor Sleep they got those parts they and got it, those little you know I got I love the original they weren't, they weren't afraid of the long conversation right. in this Ex- movie exactly and like I I'm a fan of the original Shining. I right. love that movie. But I could see why Stephen King didn't like it. Right. Because he... Kubrick just kind of eliminates the whole... Uh, like, expo- exposition of his characters. Right. Especially Jack Torrance. Right. Like, they go into deep detail about his backstory. Right. And this one, there's no... I mean, I don't know. Like, I guess the, like it's up for interpretation. That's what he loved to do. Right. But, like, with Doctor Sleep, like, all these characters, every single one that's introduced has, like, an interesting, like... Uh, personality to it right. like there's no like same two characters right and that's what I liked about it and that's like in the books like he writes like it's like each character is different right like what I liked about it is that for example like the black kid wasn't just the black kid and they were doing black people black kid archetypes like I'm not going in there I'm not gonna do that with what with the with like for example and like in oh, this right. movie 
like it didn't matter like they always do it in hollywood they did it in it where like the black kid gets bullied by the white kid right they bring race into it or like there's like the archetypes of like the racist white kid right or like the weird nerdy kid right like in this book or in this movie all the characters are different races but you never notice it. they're just people right and that's how life is like they're just people and that's what i liked about it is like um i forgot the name of the director and writer uh, you could tell he took his time writing out these characters and for thinking what, about it. For what movie? For Doctor Sleep. Yeah. Because he took his time writing out each character, and you could tell he really wanted you as an audience to feel like some sort of attachment to each character in the movie. Yeah, and he edited it. Right, so it's right. like, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it. I kind of wish I would have seen it in theaters. I'm a little upset at myself that I didn't I take, make the time to go see it in the movie theater. It was playing at the Grange Theater, and I remember driving past it. Oh, man. Oh, I can go see Dr. Sleep right I, now. I know. The there's been multiple times where I was like, I'm kind of, you know, I was off a day, and I'm like, I kind of want to go see a movie, and I see Dr. Sleep. I'm like, yeah, you know, yeah. maybe, but. I wanted to see it, because it came out around Halloween. Yeah, I remember now. Yeah, and I was like, like, I think we maybe we talked about maybe going to yeah, see it. Yeah, and then I got sucked into watching old movies at the at the Logan Theater, which was great. I love yeah. doing that, but I should have seen something different. Yeah. I, I liked it. I think, um, I'm glad so with this whole thing like movie theaters being closed down i'm glad i paid the six bucks it was to rent it yeah because i'm like i really want to support things like this so that way right. more more stuff like this gets produced and you know greenlit right i just really i you know i could rave about this movie all day i really liked it i didn't think i was gonna like it as much as this right i did um especially with how much hollywood has pumped out remakes and sequels lately right is this still recording yeah okay yeah, we're still we're still live. We we we're on a new uh, recording thing now, so it doesn't cut out oh, okay, good. after half an hour. What I was trying to find was the director of um, Doctor Sleep. Yeah, yeah, Mike Flanagan. So yeah, Mike Flanagan. Yeah, he wrote, man. directed, and edited his, this movie, and that's Bravo, man. I mean, he did something I never thought would be possible, and that is uh, adapt a perfect movie, right? And and or, or sequelize perfect movie and also adapt a book at the same time he did something that even spielberg couldn't do and that is a continuation of a kubrick right like he did it well like i don't know how he did it but he did it well. right but like the thing that i think they did well was bridge the gap like they basically took the book and the movie and got it they 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 sort of corrected the timeline yeah you know like the casting was done right. <laughs> like the, almost yeah. in an Infinity War way. Yeah. Like, like, or Endgame. Because way. it's what, been 30? Yeah, about 30 years. More yeah. than 30 years since more the last 30, one. Yeah. And they did it like like that. Yeah. Within like the first 15 minutes, they bridged that gap. Right. And you're just like, okay, I'm in. Like, yeah. I am in. Like, right. okay. Right. I'm cool with it. Oh, man. And I think casting Ewan McGregor, because I've always thought Ewan McGregor... Underrated. Underrated. Yeah. I love him in almost everything he's in. Yeah. Like when he was in Birds of Prey, which if you haven't seen it yet, you should watch it. Yeah. Because he was amazing in that movie. I loved him as Black Mask. Huh. But like he's just like, he gets better with age. I swear. Like this dude just gets better and better in each movie he's in. Right. And, um. Well, I think he's always taken acting seriously. And I think that, you know, being in a franchise right off, right off the bat early in his career probably made him. You know, you kind of sort of associate people who who take big franchise roles early in their careers, like, oh, they're going to be that guy forever. Yeah. You know, and, and he sort of was able to branch off and not have to, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He didn't have to uh, uh, stay in that, he didn't have to get pigeonholed. Right, you know? right. Um, and he can still return to that role and be Obi-Wan, 
or he can go and be Dan Torrance growing up as a kid, or he can be train spotting, or he can be, you know what I mean? Like he's, he's so diverse as an actor that there's really not much that stand in his way. Um, I'm trying to think of, there's another movie that he was in that I, I really, really loved. Um, I did, uh, I loved him in train spotting. Yeah. Which is always a given. Um, Angels and Demons. Not a great movie, mm. but he was pretty good in it. Um, Big Fish. That's the one. Oh, yes. okay. Yeah. Tim Burton, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. That was the, the movie I couldn't think of. But I was like, man, there's one really good one where he's just like the star of it. <coughs> sucks you in with his charm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I love that movie. But uh, i trying to think. Like, yeah, I can't think of another movie. Like, Blade Runner 2049 kind of did it too, where, you know, they, they took a sequel of a movie that hasn't been made. And, and, you know, I mean, that's one of those movies that everyone wanted a sequel to that movie when it came out. They were like, okay, when's Blade Runner 2? You know, like, everyone was like, that world building and that story and that, like, you can't just be a one and done on that. Like, we need and to it, explore For a while that it was, too. Yeah. yeah. And then and then they do it, and I'm thinking to myself, like, please don't. Makes you wonder, like, if Ridley Scott would have done the Blade Runner series instead of Alien, where it would it have gone? Oh, hmm. I wonder. Yeah. Like, imagine if Alien was a one and done movie franchise. Yeah. I think it would have hit harder. Then, I mean, it hits hard already. Right. But I think it hit, it'd be more impactful. Right. on society then like jaws I think the first jaws same way like if they never did two three or four or whatever amount they did i think the first jaws would have been perfect fucking hollywood has to ruin it with sequels i swear i know like and that's the <laughs> thing they don't carry with them the magic of the first one right when we were talking the other day about jaws and like we all know that jaws shark doesn't you know isn't in the movie a lot because they're having problems with the, the animatronics so what they ended up doing is that the shark makes an appearance every time that there's tension, every time that they're arguing or, or even the part where they're kind of singing in the bottom of the boat. Anytime that there's something going on where they're all kind of like, uh, they're at a, a moment of peak character development, boom, shark attack, right? So like that like little bit, like that's like a, a Hitchcockian thing, right? Like he did that with the birds, you know, the bird, like thing in the movie, the birds, you know, there's really no explanation. There's birds everywhere, they're killing people with their arachnids, and there's conflict going on with this guy and his stepmom, or whatever whatever she was to him. Like, there's this, you know, tension that's building and building, and every time the, the tension reaches this point, like, oh, birds again, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like this thing that, this, this ballet that's going on between the external protagonist, or antagonist, I mean, and the protagonist, where, you know, the antagonist isn't conscious. Like, it's just this thing. It's this... Uh, energy or or um, it's a monster or whatever it is it's not aware of what's going on it's just feeding off that energy and it's mm-hmm. getting us because we're feeding into the energy that the characters are mm-hmm. embodying by this conflict that they're in so that's something that didn't happen in Jaws 2 didn't happen in Jaws 3 no it became more about the shark than right. about the characters yeah absolutely yeah. Yeah. When, when you watch this movie it's not about the shark yeah it's like how can we scare them how yeah. can we get them to jump out of their seat yeah know? Uh, let's make it in 3D. You know, it, it's, it's, it got gimmicky. You know, they, they focused on I think the gimmick. Halloween, that's why I love the first Halloween. Right. It's kind of cheap looking now, but what I always enjoyed about it, it's like, it's not really about the killer. Right. As much as it is about the main character. I think a lot of movies miss that nowadays. Right. It's about the character. Right. And how the audience attaches to it. Right. And I think a lot of studios are doing like things like, oh, they want to see them kill. Like the Friday the 13th movies, like Jason has to kill all of them. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's what you watch, but at the same time, like, I want to know a little bit about these characters. 
I don't know. It's weird. It's a weird balance. Right. Because it's, um, there's been a lot of movies I've watched lately. I'm trying to think one as an example where it's become more about, like, Suicide Squad. Yeah. It became more about showing off the CGI. Yeah. And what they could do than it was actually about the heroes. Right. They just threw some stupid villain. Justice League. They just threw in just some stupid villain. Do you know how good of a movie that would have been if they didn't use CGI? See? Suicide like, Squad? Yeah. Because they could have gotten away with it easy. Yeah. Makeup and practical effects. I mean, I thought movie. that's what they were going to do. Right. Which they... I, I, You know, what's crazy is that if you watch Birds of Prey, that's exactly what they did. Yeah. They put more practical. Yeah. And it works. Yeah. I'm like, if... Plus, they made it R-rated, which I'm like, this is, it worked for the movie, too. And I'm like, if they would have done that for Suicide Squad... Right. Oh, man. Like, Marvel would have shit its pants because it's like, this is good. Like, this right. is good stuff here. Yeah. But they didn't. They, they try to compete. Right. That's what. That's the problem with trends. Well, that was like the coolest scene in Justice League. wasn't the fighting scenes. No. It wasn't the scenes with you know where they're showing off their power. Like I barely remember those. The one scene that I remember in just in the Justice League movie. Let's see if you can guess it. Um. I'm gonna guess Superman. What happens? When he gets resurrected. And what calms him down? Uh. Man, I've seen Lois Lane, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So this whole time they're building up this scene where you know it's been uh, Bruce, since I've seen that Batman's movie. like, I got the big gun or whatever, yeah. or, or Alfred's got the big gun. So like they're talking about this thing. I'm like, what? What do they got? A kryptonite gun? Like, what are they gonna do? You know? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm getting like anxious, like thinking like, what? what what's the big gun? You like, can tell Josh Whedon made that scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, and then it, it caught me off guard. Like I didn't think of it being Lois Lane. I knew she was in the movie. I knew that she was credited, but I did not like the the misdirect that I got from that scene. And then you find out like, oh, they didn't go with a you know a big gun. They brought in an emotional response. Yeah. You know, they brought in something that will bring him back to reality in the most Bruce Wayne way imaginable. You know what I mean? Like that was like mm-hmm. that's that's when that movie got it. It wasn't the fighting. It wasn't you know um, bicentennial man doing the thing. You know, separating the. You know what I mean? Like, they could have done so much more with way less. I think that's the problem now, is that they want to do more. Yeah. Like, did you watch the new Godzilla movie? The end of it. So, like... I didn't see the the beginning. I am a sucker for big monster movies. Right. Big action movies. I love them. Cloverfield. Exactly. And... But what works with Cloverfield is you don't really see the monster. Right. Less is better. Right. Uh, Godzilla takes that and just throws it out the window. Right, right, right. Because you see the from the moment yeah. that movie starts to the end, it's just monsters fighting, yeah, which I enjoy. But I'm like, this is getting a little bit too much. Right. I think the part I hate is that like it. I think they're relying too much on CGI. Right. I think what I didn't like about Black Panther was that last fight. Right. Because it looked like I was watching a video game. Right. It took me out of it. Right. I hated it. Yeah. And you know what I'm talking about? Right, right, right. Because I hated that scene. Because I'm like, I feel like I'm watching a video game cutscene right now. What the battle or the? When uh, Killmonger and um. Black Panther fight each other in the suits yeah. and when they're on their weird yeah. railway or whatever. Right. I just remember seeing it in theaters and it completely took me out of the I movie. I don't remember that part of the movie. I'll show it to you. I'll show you a scene. Um, let me see if I can no, no, no. I, I mean, I, we can do that later. I'll do it later. I'll, I'll look it up in a little bit. Right. Uh, no, I, I, I imagine it, it, but I'm saying like, I don't remember that as being the best part of the movie. No, it wasn't the best part, but right. I'm just saying like... But it should be. Had they done, like for example, earlier in the movie, when they fought each other on the waterfall yeah. and it was practical, it was more impactful. Right. Had they done something like that at the end, right. I would have felt it more. Right. This one, I was like, it took me out of it. I right. could see the CG. 
And I don't like that. I'm like, I like the it idea. It essentially became the same ending as Iron Man. Exactly. Right. And I'm like, ah, I just... It's I, like, I got a suit. I got a better suit. Yeah. All right. Takes you out of it. Right. And I'm like, I get it. It's a comic book movie, so it's like, there's only so far you could take it. Right. But I'm like, this but is why... De- I, but if you develop a character trait that is uh, like, the core to that person, that character trait should be the thing that uh, that puts the villain down. Exactly. Right? Like, that's the thing that, you know, and then... What Black Panther did was like they built that character trait up, but then they went no fight with suits on yeah. and special effects. You yeah, know? like that's they could have yeah they could have did less, more with less. Yeah, in that scene. See, like, and I know Marvel could do it because look at Thanos. Right. That is a built CG character. Right. He's not even real. Right. I mean, it's Josh Brolin. Right. But he's not real. Right. But it worked. Right. Like that fight scene, you felt every single one of right. those fights. You scenes. felt those punches. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I mean, I don't know, like I. It, I always think about that one scene right. in Black Panther. It just... I remember people saying, like, this movie's great, and that scene kind of ruined the movie for me because I'm like, no, like... I don't know. I don't know. And it was about the details, too, yeah. right? Because I watched that video on YouTube where they, they slowed down the Avengers fight scene um, in Endgame to, like, half the speed or whatever, and they're watching it in slow motion, and they're catching all these little details, you know, about, um, you know, like, the, the blade that... Uh, that Thanos had, you know how he spins it? Yeah. Like there's actually a mechanical thing that he's holding on to that spins it. it. Yeah. 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 And it was like, oh, you didn't catch that. I thought he was doing some really cool hands. So did I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was oh, like, wow, man. that's cool. Okay. You know, but um, it's like there was so many little things like the fact like when the when the first bomb blow, blows up, the, oh, spoilers by the way, if you haven't seen Endgame yet. If you haven't seen Endgame by now, come right. on, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's been a year. It's the highest it's grossed the, movie of all time. Exactly. Um, but anyone wants to skip ahead, I guess skip ahead. Right, but, but like uh, when they blow up the Avengers base and Scott Lang is the first one to, you know, be caught in the blast, like right away it just seems the blast pushes him away. But if you slow it down, you see that when that blast hits, it shrinks him down. Yeah. And like you don't even catch it yeah. in, the, in the movie. And it's like they left things there for people who are going to look at this movie under a microscope. You know, I mean, and that's and that's what made that that battle so impactful, so great was they went in there with little details and a fine tooth comb. And, you know, uh, there I mean, there's just so much detail to it. Like, I think if it's you if you're going to use CGI, get us with the details. Don't get us with the. Just the the canned spectacle of it. It feels like it's almost like, look at the light. Right. Don't see the shiny light or the shiny object. Like you're gonna look at it. Right. It's like of course I'm gonna look at it, but um, I want to be invested. I want to be in there. Like seeing these two guys fight each other and it looks like a video game. It just it takes me out. And I always I don't know why. Even Captain Marvel didn't have that. Right. And they had like aliens and shit in that movie too right and that even they didn't have something like that right. and i'm like i don't know why i always think of that if there was one moment i could say in the mcu that i would take as a moment that was probably could have done better it's that one right there right I, I just i can't get over it i don't know why right and it's probably because i just rewatched black panther a few weeks ago <laughs> and i wa- i remember rewatching it and it, it like reignited right how angry i was do you think they were maybe rushed with that movie? i think so because yeah. it was uh Infinity War was coming out like two months or three yeah. months after that. Right. So like they really wanted Black Panther in that movie, so right. they had to rush this movie to come out. Yeah. Which if they would, I mean, I get that, but I'm like, I don't know, man. Yeah. Marvel's not like that. That's a DC thing to do. Yeah. That's not a Marvel thing. Right. Well, an MCU because now, well, I don't know because now Fox is under Disney, so who knows? Because I was gonna say X Men does that, but yeah, that's not part of the right. 
wherever that's gonna go. Why did we talk about X Men last time? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we come full circles on we the first have. podcast. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So. All right. Well, I think we can end it there. I think it's a good way to end it this time. Yeah, we can actually say goodbye. Thank yeah. You for tuning in. You Thanks, everyone. More people. Yeah. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Yeah. Be careful out there. All right. Listen to your doctors. <laughs> See you guys. All right.